everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate podcast at the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and really glad that you are with us. Uh, We've been, we're in a series right now. We're kind of working our way through the commands of Jesus and just kind of looking at Bible commands in generally. What is about talking about obedience, looking at some very specific commands of Jesus. We started last time with asking the question, is obedience necessary? Is it essential? And what we concluded was that really depends on what you mean by those words, necessary and essential. It really, it is not essential. It's not required for salvation, but it will be a necessary outcome of a genuine response to Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you, if you missed it, to go and check that out because it can really kind of help us kind of with this grasp of really understanding that salvation is completely and totally free when God offers it through Jesus. But at the same time, there is an expectation of obedience for us as followers of Jesus. Now, today we're going to ask a question. Again, it's kind of a philosophical one, but it's also one that I hear from time to time. As people are reading through the Bible, they will see and read different commands. You'll read commands that are in the Old Testament. Then you have the Gospels where Jesus is, you know, he not only is he just kind of teaching generally, he gives commands there as well. In fact, we, we learn in John 14, 21, that obedience to Jesus's commandments is how we, how we show that we love him. And so he has these commands and understanding what they are and following them is the way that we show, show our love for Jesus. So we have these commands from Jesus, but then also as we continue on in the New Testament, we have commands that are written by the, the apostles that write those letters. And most of them are letters written by the apostle Paul. And there's a lot of commands in there. And so people wonder, first of all, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they'll ask the question, are Old Testament and New Testament commands the same? Do we, do we have to follow everything the Old Testament says? But then also people, because, you know, we're Christians, we're not people, we're not Paulists, we follow Jesus. Do Jesus's commands have priority over Paul's commands? Or, you know, because it seems like in a lot of churches, a lot of Bible studies will really be centered around understanding one of Paul's letters, it feels like to some people it's like that Christians tend to give more priority to Paul's commands instead of Jesus, and that seems like a problem. And so how are we as Christians, as we're reading and studying the Bible, how are we to distinguish between different commands written by different people or written at different times? Now, we could spend an entire podcast just really asking and answering the question, how to deal with the Old Testament in general, and how have the rules or the standards or just the theology or anything, what, what has changed from Old Testament to New Testament? I think that most of us read the Old Testament as if it's interesting, but not particularly applicable. And I think we do, and we probably will at some point in the future, spend a good amount of time on that. But I think just for shorthand, as we just think about how we're supposed to respond to Bible commands, I think first it's, it's important for us to understand that everything in the Bible is equally authoritative. Everything in the scriptures is equally sourced as coming from God. You know, all throughout the scriptures, this this is made abundantly clear that God is the source of scripture. But just because it's all equally authoritative, just because all of it finds itself as being sourced from the heart of God, from the ideas of God, that it was God that put these thoughts and words into the hearts and minds of the authors, just because it's all equally authoritative at that point does not mean that every part of scripture and every command of scripture is equally applicable. And so to, and kind of to think about the big picture idea of this, 
I think it's important for us to kind of understand this concept that a command in scripture is applicable to you in as much as you have something in common with the person that it was given to. So a command is given to you, it's given in scripture to someone at a particular time. What you have in common with that person helps determine its applicability for you. And that may sound controversial, but it's not. And I can just give a pretty simple example of that. There is a passage that says, parents do not provoke your children to anger. If you are not a parent and you do not have children, the command really, as it's written, doesn't have any direct application for you because you have no children of your own to provoke to anger. Now, you can take it up a step and say, provoking anyone to anger is a bad idea and we shouldn't do that. And so, yes, there is a sense in which that is applicable to everyone, but the specifics of that command, love your wife, uh, um, respect your husbands, these kinds of things are commands specifically given to particular groups, and your inclusion in that group determines its level of applicability. So it's as a father, it is more applicable to me than someone who is not. And maybe a better example would be found in 2 Timothy 4, where at the end, as Paul is urging Timothy to come and visit him while he's in prison, he says to Timothy, and when you come, bring the cloak, which I left in Troas, and the books, especially the parchments. So here we have a Bible command, go get my cloak and my, and my stuff and bring it to me when you come. And that is a command, it's completely authoritative, it is inspired by God and it's placed in the word that really doesn't have any real application to us. Paul is no longer in prison and his cloak and his parchments are long gone and we could not bring them to him if we wanted to. Again, you can can abstract it out a little bit and say that the purpose and its inclusion in the scripture really points to this pull that Paul is having on Timothy's life because Timothy's feeling all this fear and he's wanting to quit. He's wanting to hide. He's maybe ashamed of Paul or ashamed of the gospel And Paul is trying to get him to publicly demonstrate his commitment to both Paul and the gospel. And so in that sense, the spirit of that has some relevance to us, but the command itself does not. And so the further distant you are from the direct application by the person, the original audience of it, uh, the further you are, the more work you really have to do to answer the question, well, it may not be directly applicable to me, what does, but what does God have for me in it? And so again, now we've got three categories we want to talk about specifically, Old Testament commands versus commands of Jesus and Paul's commands. With the Old Testament commands, we need to make sure that we understand that by and large, most of these commands break into one of three categories. Some people might consider that overly simplistic, but for our purposes, it's just good to think of Old Testament commands in one of three categories. Say governmental commands, they are now a nation governed, governed by God, but with prophets and leaders and judges that oversee it. They have governmental rules that they need to follow, including in some of these are some of the health guidelines. And I'll just, and, and one of, a lot of it has to do with um, um, what to do when you find mold in your house. And my nine-year-old daughter, Layla, is, uh, I don't know if infatuated is the right word, but is, is, is definitely interested as she's been reading this in her Bible. It's like, dad, why does the Bible have so much to say about mold? Which is just very interesting to see that through a nine-year-old's eyes. But, you know, the command is simply, hey, if you find mold in your house, the first thing that you have to do is you have to contact a priest and you contact a priest and he comes and he inspects it. And then you're supposed to take where you see the mold and cut that part out. And And then you have to isolate yourself from the rest of the community for a certain amount of days. And then after that certain amount of days, the 
you know, the priest will come back and then analyze, see if there's any more mold, if it's spread, and then ultimately it could end up with everything being fine. It could end up with you losing all of your possessions and your house burns down. You know, that, that, there's some really interesting health guidelines there as far as they are trying to figure out some things about you know, the same, same things with certain funguses that you'll find on people. I mean, there's some interesting health code and guidelines there. We can learn a lot about the way that they were meant to govern themselves, and it's all very interesting. But it is not directly applicable to you. So if you are a member of the Grove Church and you read that, and then suddenly you discover that there is mold in your house, or you define, you look at some fungus that you have on your arm, I would encourage you to call just about anyone else other than me. I am not really particularly equipped in helping you with mold or, or fungi. Um, I would encourage you to call a professional. And so we might, again, we learn something from these passages, but they aren't directly applicable to us. The second sort of Old Testament command, we have the governmental ones, there's the worship ones about the way that they are supposed to worship, about the the sorts of clothes that they're supposed to wear, the sorts of sacrifices that they're supposed to bring. And God is setting up for them a particular type of worship. But again, all of that has been remade post-Jesus. And so it is the way that the Jewish nation pre-Jesus was designed, the way that they were required to demonstrate worship towards God. And again, we learn a lot about God. We learn a lot about the seriousness of sin. We learn a lot about this concept of holiness, of setting yourself apart. We learn about the importance of worship. But the particular applications of bringing turtle doves or having a scapegoat that takes on the sin of the whole community, those things have been remade and reimagined post the, the, re, the, the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus. But there are some moral commands in where, and you know, they, you know, some of them are in the Ten Commandments, which a lot of us are familiar with. Don't murder, don't steal, don't be envious, honor your parents, those sorts of things. And those, those commands are very directly relevant to us. Those aren't particular, necessarily particular to the Jewish people as a, as a country or as God's chosen people, but are demonstrating God's moral commands in general. And so they do have application for us. So with the Old Testament, that's the sort of work that we need to do. Now with Jesus' commands, now we're into the New Testament, I think it's really important for us to understand that obviously everything that Jesus says is absolutely authoritative for us, but it is not as easily applicable for us as it was for the original audience because Jesus, in addition to teaching us about God, to teaching us about himself, teaching us about how we can relate to God, he was ushering God's people through a transition from following strictly the law and the sacrifices to helping them understand what was about to happen with his crucifixion and resurrection. His crucifixion and resurrection, essentially, I mean, it's not an understatement to say it is the climax of the Bible. It is everything that is pointing towards as you're going there and everything after the crucifixion and resurrection is pointing to the implications of that. And so he is helping them transition and understand that. And so some of his commands that he gives, though they seem very straightforward, meant something very different to those people at the time. And I'll give you an example here from Matthew chapter five. This particular passage is in the Sermon on the Mount, and at the very end, kind of ends with him talking about, you know, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he's talking about loving your enemies. He ends this whole passage because he's been talking about adultery. He's been talking about murder. He's been talking about all these things. You've heard the Pharisees. You've heard the leaders say this, but I'm telling you this. But then it ends in verse 48 with this command from Jesus, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. 
Now, if we are called then to directly apply every command of Jesus, then what we'll ultimately end up with is that all that Jesus expects from us is perfection at the level of God the Father. And this isn't the only time that Jesus really focuses on this idea. He does it with this guy that's called the rich young ruler. He says, what commands do I need to follow? And Jesus lists them out. And he says, I followed all these commands. And he says, ah, you want to be perfect, sell everything that you have and come follow me. And in both of these instances, he's talking about being perfect. And he says something that feels very extreme to sell everything that you have, to have zero possessions. Or here, God's standard for you, if you want to follow God's standards, is to have the level of moral perfection that God the Father has. Now, if you take that at its most literal, direct application sense, you are going to end up very, very discouraged. But the context of this is an entire passage where Jesus is saying, hey, listen, what you need to understand is these people are telling you that righteousness and life with God can be found through obedience to the law. And they're trying to give you the impression that they have the ability on their own to follow fully the law. And so they say, don't murder. And they, and they define that very narrowly. But actually what murder means is to not even have hate. They're, they say, don't commit adultery. And they think that that means all you have to do is not commit the sex act. But I'm saying that lust counts. You know, they say that God says, love your neighbor. And what that means is love your friends and good people. But I say it means love everyone, including the people who are out to get you. And so ultimately what Jesus is saying in that be perfect command is if you want to attain righteousness and relationship with God by your morality, here is the standard, absolute, perfect, moral perfection. And so immediately after Jesus says this thing about being perfect as, he, as the heavenly father is perfect, he immediately goes into another section where he says, talks about the Pharisees. He says, you got to be careful about these guys, the way that they practice their righteousness in public. Look how great I am. And they, and, and they wear the best clothes and they sit on the best seats and they make sure that everybody knows how much they give and they do all of these things. He's like, do not live that way. This entire section is meant to help these people understand that the way that they have been taught to honor God, the way that they have been taught to follow God, the, everything from their best examples is bad theology and bad practice. And if you want to have the natural implication of this bad theology, all you have to do is be perfect. But since you can't do that, let's just also expose how completely imperfect and arrogant these people are. And so he is at the same time demolishing this group of people, but also transitioning God's people to understand that the purpose of the law was never to show them how they could be perfect, but to show them how impossible perfection was. And Paul describes this as he talks about the law and says that the law is like a school teacher. It's like a tutor. It's like a guide. It is someone who is helping you get to a certain point. It was meant to guide you, to direct you, to get you from a place of immaturity to a place of understanding. And that point in which that the law is meant to get you to is to understand that perfection is unattainable. They had missed that point. And so Jesus is having to come back and re-emphasize those things with him. Again, the moral commands that Jesus is giving there make absolute perfect sense and are completely and totally applicable to us. You should have a greater standard for murder than actually killing. You should have a greater standard for love than just people who are like me. 
And you should have a greater understanding of what adultery is beyond just committing a sexual act. But his big picture idea, when he starts talking about perfection and he says these difficult things, he is, he is helping them transition from a law mindset to a grace mindset that they will finally more fully understand after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and then the letters and teachings of the apostles help fill that out. The purpose of that command was meant to guide. It was meant to usher people from a law mindset to a post-resurrection mindset. And so with Jesus's commands, they are absolutely, completely and totally authoritative. But at the same time, they are helping people usher in a transition period that we're not in. He's helping people with a law mindset transition to a grace mindset. And so when we find ourselves in those mindsets, it's important for us to kind of make sure that we understand this. I'm trying to earn God's favor. Here's the standard for me. But we don't look at that, take that verse completely and totally out of context and say, well, Jesus said be perfect. Therefore, the only way to please God is with absolute moral perfection because that's not the point. So that's why it's important for us to understand the context in which the commands in the gospels are given. Now, the reason why most people find Paul's commands to be the most relatable or the easiest to apply are that they are the ones where we have the most in common with the original readers. The original readers are non-Jewish post-resurrection Christians, which is what the bulk of us are. There may be a few Jewish Christians, but by and large, I think I would imagine almost everyone listening to this is a post-resurrection non-Jewish Christian. And they are designed to help us understand what life is supposed to be like in a post-crucifixion, post-resurrection world and what it is that God wants and expects from us. And so by and large, the commands that we find in the letters are the easiest and most direct to apply. Again, as I've already said, there are some that have targeted audiences like this one is to pastors, this one's to leaders, this one's to moms, this one's to kids. And even still in some of the, they may be some that seem to be directly applicable only to the audience that he is talking to. Now, we have to be careful when we do that, which is why it's important that we study the scriptures together and not end up in a place where we are dismissing verses, commands that we don't like and say, oh, that's not meant for us. But at the same time, not putting unnecessary burdens on ourselves, like with the be perfect as I'm perfect, we're not putting unnecessary burdens on ourselves by not completely understanding the purpose that the command has. And in short, and I guess this is the, the too long didn't read or too long didn't listen summary of what we're talking about here, is that all these commands are equally authoritative, but some of them are just not as easily applicable. And the principle being, the more that I have in common with the original audience, the more easy and direct the application is. So then the further you get chronologically in the scripture, the easier and more applicable the scriptures become. Again, I thank you so much for joining us here in our Cultivate podcast. We've got a few more weeks. We're going to look at some specific commands of Jesus. And I ask, ultimately ask and answer the question, what does God really big picture want from me? And we would love to see you uh, on a Sunday morning at the Grove Church. Or you can join us online, thegrovechurch.org, and you can stream on a Sunday. Either way, we would love to connect with you. And again, thank you so much for joining